0: I love this segment. I think there's over 8 billion people now on the planet Earth, and one of my favorites to talk with and listen to is uh, Hampshire College Professor Salman Hamid, astro- astronomer extraordinaire who who joins us uh, regularly on Talk to Talk and illuminates us on what's happening, well, What's up? What's up, Professor Salman Hamid?
1: <laughs> well, th- thank you very much uh, for having me. And uh, right now it's uh, it's been cloudy and I'm just waiting for the sun. And I hope sun is still out there because I haven't seen it in a long time. And it's, so who knows? It may have uh, gone to the next stage. I, uh, I, I and, just like, read you know, the, towards the end.
0: Yeah, I read in the month of January there were I think there were 20... Six days where we there were more clouds than there were sun in the month of January so you're right we need more sun the sun is it's not gonna die for a little while is it Salman?
1: <laughs> uh, no we have a few billion years but uh, I wasn't sure how long the clouds are gonna stay so I'm not <laughs> sort of like you know so until we see it as we say in science so like you, know, you have to you have to have evidence and uh, so far I haven't seen evidence that the sun is still out there.
0: Okay, so we still aspire to have moon (laughs) missions and to place a little settlement on the moon, etc., etc., but uh, we have a little bit of competition right now, so could you talk to us about that?
1: Right, so uh, as uh, we have uh, touched upon it before, and uh, I think we are going to see more and more activity uh, on the moon. There are a lot of missions going, a lot of private missions going to the moon, and 2024 has already started with uh i mean last year if you remember the big one was the indian landing of chandrayaan 3 which was a successful landing um becoming only i think the fourth uh, country uh, to make it and uh this year started with a private mission called astrobotic and they had a peregrine spacecraft uh which was uh which actually did not make it to the moon and that is also a reminder that moon missions are still uh, not an automatic. This mission, um, and that mission, astrobotic mission, became also controversial because it was also taking uh, human remains uh, of a uh, lot of Star Trek people, by the way, uh, Gene Roddenberry, um, Uhura, and Scotty, and so on and so forth, um, and. A lot of people objected, indigenous uh, groups in particular objected to it that uh, they should not just uh, take human remains uh, to go on the moon because moon is sacred. So there was this other element to it. That mission came back and actually they deliberately burnt it back into the Earth's atmosphere. So those human remains, by the way, uh, Gene Roddenberry is now in our own atmosphere. Uh, So you can think about that however you may. Um, But then it was followed by, a successful landing by a japanese mission uh called a uh, slim and it was uh, and, and so slim basically became the fifth country to actually successfully soft land on the moon and uh and it, it's a fifth country so after us soviet union or russia china india and now japan has been able to successfully land and this particular mission uh landed sort of like towards the uh equatorial region. But what it was trying to do was to land really accurately within basically a football field sized target, which is hard to do. And they managed to do that. Although the spacecraft itself uh, tilted a little bit. And so it it is no, I don't think it is functioning anymore because it ran out of batteries. Uh, It was tilted away from the sun, Uh, but it did land where they said it will land.
0: So you mean it, it lands standing up?
1: Well, it landed a little bit uh, tilted, and so it was an inclined uh, place where it was, uh, it was going. And instead of its solar panels pointing towards the sun, uh, they were actually pointing away from it. And that led to its batteries not working, and, uh, and so uh, it didn't last as long as they thought it would.
0: Why is it so important that soft landings are successful?
1: Well, if you are sending humans, I mean, like, you know, hard landings would be a big of a problem for humans. <laughs> but uh, but I think the problem is, and that's what this Japanese mission was trying to solve, that, remember, moon doesn't have an atmosphere. So landing is a tricky thing to begin with. You are using thrusters. and But then you also have a lot of uh, boulders in there, uh, craters there. And so you really need to target where you are going from way out. Uh, In in fact, uh, the the most famous uh, landing, the Apollo 11 landing, uh, where Neil Armstrong actually took manual controls towards the end. And the reason was because they could see sort of like, you know, that the place where they were initially planning on landing was not uh, the right place, because there were boulders and which you could see when you get very close to the surface. And and so so this spacecraft, the Japanese spacecraft, what it was trying to do was to use cameras right over there and to make decisions based upon very accurate locations that, okay it can then land there. So I think that's why if we are sending which which there are plans of sending humans back to the moon, uh, both the US Artemis program, a US led Artemis program, I should say, they are planning on landing humans in the next couple of years probably by 2027 and the chinese missions which are chinese-led missions which uh, are expected by 2030 anytime before that we actually don't know much about when they are planning on landing there uh, with humans uh, you would require a good enough information about that now of course apollo program there were several apollo landings, so it's not that it's not possible it's just that uh, it's a hard thing, and they're trying to solve that um, at a more regular basis.
0: Professor Salman Hamid, how, how much information is sharing? Like Right now, is Japan sharing all the information that it's acquired as a result of this attempted soft landing with other aspiring moon landing nations?
1: Yes, yeah, so the Japanese missions are uh, in collaboration with. Uh, oftentimes, they have close collaboration with NASA as well, European Space Agency um, uh, as well. The challenge, I think, is the, the relations between um, China and the U.S. And uh, and so so, let me give you an example. Uh, there was a sample return mission for, uh, by. China's successful uh, mission, I think it was uh, Chang'e 5, I think that brought actually lunar samples from from the moon back to the Earth. And that was the first samples since uh, the Apollo missions. And those were actually from an interesting place, which was, and that was deliberately picked, that complemented the kind of samples that were brought by the Apollo program. So it had a lot of, uh, it has a lot of scientific value to it. But NASA is prohibited uh, by uh, by Congress to work with Chinese space program or with China at all. And so uh, there has been uh, sort of like, you know, an um, uh, impediment to collaborations. Now, recently, and, and that is one of those things that you go like, oh, well, I mean, like, you know, the, the samples are good and Chinese have it. Recently, uh, the U.S. government has given some exception, I think, uh, to work on these samples. But this is just a simple thing. In theory, you would expect, especially from the side of. We're not talking about military capabilities. We are talking about pure science. We are talking about lunar analysis of lunar samples and things like that. You would hope that those type of things actually go more smoothly, not just for scientific progress, but also because that is the type of thing that can actually improve relations as well. You are having conversations. uh, And, and I think, I think that's a really terrible decision uh, that the U S government has taken, including by the way, that was the reason, one of the reasons why, China is not part of the International Space Station because China did want to participate in that, but US excluded it. And so they went ahead and built their own uh, space station uh, without the help of the US or without cooperations with NASA. So these things, they have long-term consequences as well. And uh, this will be even more important when, when there are settlements on the moon US-led Artemis program is planning on settlements on the lunar South Pole. Chinese-led collaboration is planning on settlements on the South Pole of the moon. How it's going to work out, how their relationships are going to be, I think it's a, I think it's a real problem that, uh, that, for example, NASA scientists are not allowed to, or federal scientists are not allowed to cooperate with, uh, or collaborate with the Chinese.
0: Once again, strongly. US, be careful what you, wish for. We are talking to Professor Salman Hamid. When we come back, I want to ask him about this, uh, the astrobotics uh, effort um, taking human ashes to the moon. We will be right back with Professor Hamid after this.
1: This
0: is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and you're listening to "Talk the Talk" with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are continuing our conversation with Professor Salman Hamid of Hampshire College, the astronomer that we well, he just he, he's just schooling us all the time. So Salman, I want to get this straight: taking human ashes to the moon, really?
1: uh yes uh that was uh that was one of the sort of like um uh, should i say that was one of the cargo uh, in some ways uh for the astrobotic uh mission and uh, not just to the moon they also had plans of uh, for some uh, i think the one that may not be that expensive and that is to get uh, sort of like in orbit uh, around the sun as well and uh, there are companies so this for example uh, this particular company that there is a company that deals with taking human remains to space i mean it costs and you can ask them to take it and they will bring them uh, and uh, to space and that raises interesting questions i mean academically <laughs> that's an interesting question i mean uh, well i mean in some sense if you want to be in your ashes to be orbiting the sun you can stay on Earth. I mean, you are orbiting the sun. <laughs> you don't have to go to space. But I can see the appeal to that, and and that has been done before uh, a couple of times, uh, and and it raises uh, interesting question. I mean, if I remember correctly, I think uh, the remains of uh, uh, of the discoverer of Pluto. Uh, he actually, his remains went on the mission and he died uh, right before the launch of the mission to uh, Horizons uh, space, uh, probe that was going to Pluto. And uh, right at uh, towards the end, they actually I think added that. And I remember that the company was not too happy about it because they all seal up and there are all these restrictions, but they did it. But larger problem is, uh, this is more of a technical issue, but the larger question is who gets to decide what goes to the moon and here is a private company that is saying hey if you give us x amount of money we are going to take ashes uh, to the moon but the problem is that well moon is for example sacred to some indigenous groups that say well no you cannot you should not take human remains uh, to the moon who gets to decide that and right now there is no centralized decision process that can say this is something that you can or you cannot do uh, so I think it's a, it's a larger issue that we uh, we need to resolve uh, more uh, more quickly
0: indeed we do and I guess there's also this issue about um, uh, private companies trying to capture asteroids right or at least the mining asteroids.
1: Yeah, so so there is a new mission that is about to be launched in mid February. It is by a company uh, called Intuitive Machines, uh, which is landing a, a again. Uh, so, so NASA is now hiring these private companies to uh, to land on the uh, to, to take sort of like you know experiment and land uh, do with landers. So Intuitive Machines is taking a lander that's going to land to close to the South Pole. Uh, in fact, if successful, that will be. Uh, the spacecraft that would be the closest to the South Pole, only a few ten degrees or so uh, from the South Pole, but this spacecraft, on the way to the Moon, it's also carrying other payloads, including by a, a, a company called AstroForge, which uh, which is an which is going planning on going to look and analyze an asteroid potential for future mining. Now, Buzz you're gonna say, wait a minute, but which asteroid is that? Well, I cannot tell you because they are keeping it a secret. <laughs> and as it turns out, there is no rule. that say you have to tell us that which asteroid you are planning on going to, which because uh, like, you know, for deeper space uh, missions, uh, there, there are no, I mean, there are recommendations. United Nations says you should tell us, but there is no uh, enforcement of that. Uh, it's more of a suggestion. And so here is a group that says, well, I mean, we don't want to tell our competition which asteroid we are going to study because that will be our future mining part.
0: You know, human race seems not willing to learn from its mistakes way back when it was uh, settling the new world or settling Africa. And it was the Portuguese fighting with the English, fighting with the French, fighting with, you know, uh, uh, the Spanish. And uh, here we are again. We just can't seem to uh, shake hands. Come up with an agreement for the betterment of all. Uh, it's pretty frustrating. It must be really frustrating for those of us who are scientists like yourself and want to see a concerted effort to learn and grow and develop our future together. It must be awesome. And, and
1: also, it's one of those things that once space, I mean, once we take our steps in space, that sets the precedent. And in some ways, once we get to the moon, the the way we go there, uh, I think it's really crucial what set of values we are going to place importance on. Um, I mean, um, the, the way the space race in the 1960s got shipped, it didn't have to be a space race. Uh, in fact, at one point, uh, President Kennedy did wanted to get out of it, and he did suggest to Khrushchev uh, at that time, the Soviet leader, that maybe, you know, you can have a joint mission to the moon Uh, because uh, President Kennedy wasn't sure if NASA would succeed in it or not. And he wanted a sort of like an off ramp and Khrushchev, they thought the Soviet Union was ahead at the time in the early 60s. And he said no, or he ignored him. And I'm just wondering what would have happened if he had said yes to Khrushchev. And the first mission to the moon would have been a joint mission. How our space history would have unfolded and the future, how it would have been written instead of being shaped as the way the mythology gets shaped in terms of the space race. And now, of course, the continuation of that into the commercial uh, 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 commercial perspectives. I think we can still write our future, but right now we have to act now. These, these things are happening right now in the next couple of years, we will be setting our steps into space. Uh,
0: Indeed. Well, uh, here, I got a great idea. Why don't you line yourself up a screenwriter? Dan Torres will produce it. There's a great motion picture of what would have happened had Khrushchev said yes. Uh, I'm into those conspiracy Uh, theories. I know you are too, Mr. (laughs) Salman. Salman, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, it's, it's, it's a joy to learn from you and to listen to your explanations. Uh, Speaking of joys, we have Donabel Cassis. We have a really wonderful Art Beat lined up for today. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz
1: Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.